2: I'm scott wapner and you're listening to cnbc's halftime report the podcast the most profitable hour of the trading day we record this live weekdays at 12 eastern listen in welcome to the halftime report of scott wapner front and center this hour the big week ahead for your money the midterms the cpi fed speakers key earnings we've got all of that our investment committee sizing up what is really at stake for your money joining me for the hour today carrie firestone victoria green right here on set Joe Terranova and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. We're just past 12 noon in the east. We're mixed. The Dow's holding on to a gain of 150. There's the S&P, a fractional mover trying to stay in positive territory above 3770. There's the Nasdaq is down three quarters of a percent. 421 is where we're at on the 10 year So Joe, we got a lot. I said on the plate. We got midterms. We got CPI. We got seven Fed speakers. We got China's zero COVID policy in play because we're going to talk about that in a minute and what it means for people, uh, companies like Apple. We got more earnings like Disney. What's, uh, what's your thought here as we well, head into I, yet another big week? I, you know, go to Steven, I got to take a sip of water. All right, go, you go ahead. There we go. Yeah, I tried. Yeah, I know you I did. And you he wasn't up to the moment. Time. I mean, I went right yeah, there. Nope.
3: You got to take a sip of water. I'm good. i tell you are what. Are good now? Okay, no, I'm go good on. now. All right. So All right, go ahead.
2: I-, I think it's mega caps.
3: I think mega caps really are the story right now. Yes, you pointed out the election. We're in the middle of a grid rock, uh, gridlock rally. On the other side of that, we're going to find out where we are with inflation. But really, where the market goes right now is going to be determined by the way that these mega caps Ultimately, going to trade. And I think in the really? last. I so? I think in the last several days. You don't think the market's decoupled itself from them no, a little bit? No, and I think in the last several days, we're finally seeing that the resiliency that the market had with mega caps, that's kind of beginning to fall to the side. You've seen a little bit of a liquidation. There was some false comfort this morning that maybe mega caps would, would be okay today, that we wouldn't see the selling pressure. Okay, you're seeing the selling pressure right now, and you're beginning to see the the uh, deterioration in the indexes overall. So I think two things haven't happened. Number one, you haven't taken away the stress and potential liquidity concerns from the fixed income market. Still have a two year treasury at 475 and you haven't taken away this process of tax loss selling for mega cap equities. And that ultimately, I think, Mm.
2: determines where the market goes. That's the gunlock point of view, right? He's he's told me out in Denver, the biggest risk between now and the end of the year is, uh, is tax loss selling. So Joe's essentially saying that the market can't get stability or continue to go up if mega caps don't go up. You agree with that? No.
4: And I think we're seeing it because you've seen the market rally. You're seeing Apple down today. How many conversations have we had over the last five, six years? Market can't go up unless Apple goes up. And here we have Apple down, uh, what, 15% from the highs just in the last couple of weeks? Uh, And we've seen carnage and in in the mega caps so i actually think it's healthy to have the market divorce from mega caps uh, but i think the challenges are are different in the market and first i want to commend barry diller for being such a huge fan of halftime report because he said everything i've been saying over the last uh you know few months um so so he, it, look the, price the price. issue is going to be that it's going to be huge volatility as we go through into the first quarter because maybe you get a hint of CPI getting a little better I don't know if you will or not you'll see the market have a massive rally then you'll come to December and Powell will go
2: 50 but it'll be still hawkish will he, i mean if C, if CPI comes in in line if CPI comes in anything but hot right you get a rally we do right you get a rally right on the back of the midterm right. which some suggest we're already rallying into it on expectations of a flip of the house. Look,
4: look, we went into gridlock when Joe Manchin called out Biden about pushing pushing you know green windmills instead of coal. So he's always been the swing vote. So Biden wasn't going to get anything done anymore, and he shouldn't get anything inflationary done anymore. So you're already in gridlock, and I've already think you've seen that rally. It may pop tomorrow night. But I think it'll sell off quickly as you de-risk into CPI. So then it's going to be a question. The market's going to be very data-dependent going forward. I still take the view that earnings are going to come down. They haven't come down enough in terms of forecast. We heard Dubrovko has got an excellent sense of the market, is a phenomenal strategist. Costin again, taking his numbers down he today. He did. Costin from
2: Goldman yep. took his, uh, his estimates for next year down um, to zero. Right. To but zero. you have
4: to break through that because... Earnings are actually down if you break out energy this past quarter, and that's going to continue to be the trend. So I still think the market is overvalued here based upon where earnings are going to be, not where they
2: are today. So, Victoria, UBS says the lows aren't in, and they're looking at the S&P. They say 3,200 before 3,900. Does that make sense to you? You've been more negative Uh, uh, for, for certain.
5: I mean, the downtrend's intact. It's still a bear market. We've had about four of these rallies where we come up anywhere from five to 15%. But if you look at it, we keep hitting lower highs and lower lows. So no, I don't, I don't think it's invalidated at all. I've always said 34, 3200. I think it's where we're going to find our footing. Probably in Q1, you could see a little bit of a seasonal rally here, but earnings haven't necessarily been great. As we pointed out, X energy, it, it's a little bit of a loss. And then you're seeing your mega caps fall off, which again, I think it's funny. It's like you have to de- find when you're talking about the market it's not universally the S&P 500 anymore because they're so cap weighted. If you look at the market as the Dow, which again is more value and very concentrated, you've actually seen a bunch of positive weeks before we we saw last week's heartache. But the Dow and the disconnect between that and the very mega cap weighted S&P 500 uh, kind of push back. Now we have to be rethinking when you say I want to invest in the market or not. What do you really mean by that? Because the SPY, IVV, you know, throw a dart at a dartboard because you've got those five mega cap names it's it's really not the same anymore. But we needed to see that. We needed capitulation. We'll see if Apple can hold that 121 support from the June lows. You know, reports today on, on the iPhone cutting, you know, is definitely dragging them down. And you just can't, the mega caps just can't seem to get it right right now. And so I'm willing to wait until we're done with our rate hiking cycle before I get excited about them. So yeah, bear market still intact, not getting too excited. Happy for some Marie Falle, but it's, it's not the end.
2: Yeah. Kerry Raymond James today says the move out of tech finally starts to feel capitulatory. Um, A headline that you know sounded inflammatory about Apple and demand, in essence, isn't really doing much of anything to the stock because it's more supply than demand, as Tim Cook told us on the earnings call. So we have kind of clarity on what the real issues are as it relates to that. But Joe made the point at the top of the show. So comment. On where we started about this notion that if tech continues to be upset, mostly mega cap, that the markets is not going to be able to find its footing.
6: Well, it's interesting, and I I don't mean to sound like the bullish person on the panel, but considering how bearish everyone has been so far, I'm going to give you a couple of points that haven't been mentioned. What's with the
2: disclaimer? I mean, if you're more bullish than them, then just say
6: it. I think that they're overly negative about certain aspects. For example, Meta announced that they were laying off considerable employees. They didn't really put a number. The stock's up 5.5%. So if, if we're talking about at what point some of these mega caps have hit the ultimate of pain, it may be that they're beginning to show some sign of life, only because all the people who owned the stocks and lost money, Enormous amounts over the last year and a half perhaps are, are out. They sold them. The Nasdaq went down about 6% last week. So at 11 times earnings or 12, whatever meta might be, some people think it's a buy today because there's, they're finally facing the truth, which is that they have too many employees bloated costs and have to do something about it as people like brad geissner has has said so I, i i take that as a positive paypal had a quarter that was a good quarter it went down the stock is up today now i wish we hadn't owned these stocks over the past year but i'm not unhappy we own them now and at these prices i'm willing to say I think they're cheap. I think Google's a cheap stock. It's half the multiple of some of the consumer sta- staple stocks, selling for half of what you know Alphabet sells for. So I think you have to be careful to say, oh, nobody wants to own these, or the market is going to thirty-two hundred because the market has been trading in a range, and it's really been you know thirty-five, fifty, and forty-one hundred, and it sort of bounces around, and perhaps it's been making lower lows, but. Who knows when the lowest of the lows is in, and if we start to see something positive on the inflation front, you know there could be some some rally. I'm not suggesting the markets bottomed and is going straight up, but you know we're not in a situation that we think is you know cataclysmic okay. when it comes to recession, like in All 2008 right. or nine. Right, and I mean, so I, I think it's it's different. Weiss, we have a I mean, different that's, environment.
2: That's kind of where we are. You got to like be apologetic to be a little less than <laughs> yeah. overtly negative. Particularly when you market talking about, but that, Meta. That's kind of where we are. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, Meta treated a symptom. They didn't treat the problem. The problem still is he's got a vision that goes out a decade or two. They're just going to spend and bet the entire company on. So that's a value trap to me. It is not cheap because revenues are coming down. In terms of Google, well, I it's agree like it's cheap. 10 times
2: earnings, isn't it? Like 10, 11 yeah, times but, now? Yeah, but
4: earnings are, are or, declining.
2: Well, that's yeah. why the multiple's and, declined and a lot. Al- right,
4: but they've also said, here's where right our cash now. is going. And then you've got the situation, as Diller said, you got one guy making a decision on the future of the company, which may not, and in fact, he thinks, won't come to pass. So you'd be up for nothing. There are other cheap stocks out there. In terms of Google, I think it's cheap, too, but I've got that Section 230 case that I mentioned that completely turned the company upside down uh, if they come out and find them liable for speech. But, but more so than that, um again, you can't focus on where the market or stocks came from, okay? Because that was a sugar high on free money for a decade. Those multiples were not normal multiples. you're still above what the long-term historic multiple is. Not the 10-year multiple, the longer term multiple is. So that's why it's not cheap. And if earnings are coming down, you get other opportunities. The math's very simple that way.
3: Joe? I don't know. I, I I still look at it, and I never said the market's going to 3,200. I don't know where Carrie got that from, <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying that. I heard I, Victoria
6: and Scott okay. say it. I said okay. it. UBS said all 32
3: I'm, before 3,900. Okay. But all I'm pointing out is you have to set the expectation, and you have to say to yourself, can the market really break out with any degree of strength above 4,000 if you're not going to get participation from the, the mega caps? They're just too st- statistically important yeah. overall to the indexes themselves okay so you have to set that expectation for yourself you have to look at the rally that you're getting right now which is related to the election it's a gridlock rally it's nothing more than that okay we want to get excited well,
2: what if it's ahead of CPI also
3: okay so the other side to CPI is look what energy is doing here in the last week or so so you could get yourself real excited about a better-than-expected inflation reading, and then what's staring you in the in the face? $93 crude oil and natural gas above $7. And China reopening, which
4: is going to drive the global economy even more. Why is, the Why is the victory? But China's
5: not reopening. They just came back and said COVID no, zero. No, I'm
4: like, not saying now, Victoria. I'm saying okay. it eventually will reopen. And just as yeah. the, the economy is turning over, you'll
2: have them buying aluminum, or you'll have them buying everything. Why, why is the VIX at twenty-five, a little under twenty-five, Steve?
4: I, I just don't think the VIX is uh, has been a reliable indicator of the markets for a long, long time. So, so that's why, uh, you know. But uh, but there is some calmness in the market. Look, you know, I come in, I look at some stocks, and say maybe I should buy these now. I look at a Honeywell, which I think is is a story for the next 30 years because they're automating the industrial uh, workplace. Well, but, if not
2: now, when? What bell is going to ring that says, okay, there, if not no today, There's no bell that's going to ring, and once again, you know, it, it, This is what I
4: have to see. I have to see earnings expectations reset more towards where I'm at, which is 200 for next year, than still being where they are, and still people saying, well, I'm bearish. But when you look at their exposure, their exposure is still pretty high.
2: Well, Victoria Jeffries thinks you get another 10% cut on earnings. That's why people are somewhat paralyzed in the market, because... it's a great word. I think most expect that expectations are going to be cut. It's a matter of when and by how much. So you're not really sure what moves to make.
5: Well, on that 240, I think we all know that's a pretty unrealistic number right now, but you haven't seen it come down as much. And now you're starting to see the revisions hit. Um, I would I would argue, you know, what's changed? We're still in high inflation. I think the October print could come in high because that energy prices rose. You didn't really get a lot of relief, I don't think, from food or medical. Housing maybe, but I don't think so. So if you look at what changed and what am I excited about, I'm not excited that anything's different at all. We're just seeing some price action. The fundamental headwinds are the same, you know, unless... the dollar breaks below 110, the dollar's still strong, the Fed's still hiking. And so you look around and I don't want to own long duration. I think it's too early for growth in tech. And and, and so I think we need expectations to come down. And the only thing driving the market right now is energy and energy earnings outperformance and and everything else has, has really been a bit of a disappointment. Utilities, too, have eked out a little bit of a beat. But you're not seeing across the board beats and you're certainly seeing margin pressures. And so right now, I think it's still early. And I think people are in a hurry to get this bear market done and they need to be patient because you have persistent headwinds and, and until those headwinds abate, I think that you've got an uphill climb for a lot of these growth and, and mega cap techs and, and you have to understand where their earnings come from. How how exposed are they, you know, to advertising pulling back? The recession that we claim hasn't hit yet, which I would slightly argue we're closer in one and what's happening in the UK and, and Europe, how how sacred are these, these earnings that companies are getting as the world slows. And so your PE being moderated on some of these companies right. only matters going so, forward.
2: I mean dollar helping today, right? Dollars a little bit weaker. I mean, even the King Bear himself is more bullish in the near term. <laughs> who's the King Bear? Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson. Yeah. Aside yeah. from Weiss. From I thought you were talking about something. I know. Well, they. Yeah. they he's see, part of my court, in fairness. Right. But see, even Wilson, <laughs> who's negative, can see that there are potential positives in the yeah. near term to, to take the market higher. He says, THAT EQUITY MARKETS REMAINED RESILIENT IN THE FACE OF A STILL HAWKISH FED AND STRONG LABOR DATA Agreed. STAY BULLISH WITH TIGHT STOPS. BOTTOM LINE, IF RATE VOLATILITY CONTINUES TO FALL, P.E.S CAN EXPAND FURTHER. YOU KEEP ARGUING, STEVE, THAT P.E.S ARE STILL TOO RICH, THAT THEY NEED TO CONTRACT MORE. HE SAYS yeah. THAT THEY CAN EXPAND MORE IF RATE VOLATILITY THAT YOU SPOKE ABOUT too GOES AWAY.
4: WELL, THE REASON P.E.S WILL EXPAND IS BECAUSE THE EARNINGS ARE GOING DOWN AND THE MARKET the market STAYING WHERE IT IS. SO THAT'S JUST AN EXPANSION versus the expansion we saw the other way, where earnings moving up a little bit, and the, the P.E., the multiple, kept moving up. But what so if I'm you're not...
2: right about everything that you say about where you think, you know, earnings are ultimately gonna go, that we're, you know, we could have a recession or whatever, but it's further off than, than you think. So you have a pocket of opportunity that could be, I don't know, I mean, I don't know how long, six, six months, nine months?
4: No, I, I agree, and as I said before, I think it's volatile so if the market sells off because the cpi is too hot or comes in as expected on thursday the market will trade off and then it'll bounce on friday because there's just this insatiable appetite to be long equities that's what an entire industry entire global industry is built on yeah
2: but it seems like there's no insatiable appetite to be that today there's more of an insatiable appetite to run away well
4: actually i don't think so because the volatility the, ups, the, the upside volatility is much greater than downside so the market's good, the Dow's going up a thousand points. It's not going down a thousand points on bad days. So yes yeah, so they're, they're lower highs but the point is you see that the animal spirits come in more on the upside when there's a flicker of good news. And because lots of people are in cash, also hedge fund exposures are pretty low. They went up, now they're back down. So I do think the market can rally, uh, but I want to get through Thursday
2: first. Kerry, I mean, we we mentioned Apple in passing these China COVID restrictions, and we find out that it's it's a supply problem for Apple more so than a demand. But it's a reminder to everybody about how restrictive that policy is to business and how reliant we are in in um, this globalized world that we live in and where we get products from, as long as that remains a question mark, what does it mean to the way you're thinking about the stocks that you own?
6: Well, I'd say I'm happy we're underweight Apple. Uh, I also think that it's not just a supply problem. It's very, you know, it's very easy to say it's COVID restrictions and supply constraints and logistics. Well, but I mean, I'm their sure earnings proved it softness out, it? Also. I mean,
2: You know, unless you don't believe the earnings or Tim Cook himself, I mean, I understand the skepticism in some regard, but.
6: Yeah, I know. I I believe what he's seeing, but I suspect that there's going to be some slowdown in iPhone demand just because there's consumer slowdown across the globe. Um, But, of course, it makes us be concerned about the globalization effort that, you know, if we we rely on just-in-time inventory from around the world, it's more of a problem than we had thought. I'd just like to point out one thing, Scott, which is um, interesting. This quarter, we looked at third quarter um, consensus estimate changes after after companies reported, and almost all companies have reported, I mean, 90 plus percent, uh, versus the past four years. And the a distrust and I say, you know, disbelief and, and lack of, of commitment on the part of investors this quarter has been remarkable. For every one percent change um, downside on estimates for this third quarter, when consensus estimates came down, there was a multiplier effect of about three times the, the change versus over the last four years. So, if the average one percent change affected a stock, you know, twenty cents, at uh, this time it's it's eighty cents. So, there's been much more dramatic penalization of weak earnings and weak guidance this quarter than in the last four years. And sort of plays through across all sectors, not just technology or communications, but any companies that have been disappointed. On the upside, it's about the same. Mm-hmm. They've given people, I mean, given companies about what expected, but it's really been sort of. A destructive to value if you've been guiding down and the estimates have been reduced
2: all right let's do this let's take a quick break because i got a lot of moves i got to get to <laughs> joe's got what three cells carrie's got a couple cells victoria's got a cell she has a buy too. um so it's not just getting rid of what you got we're back after this All right, welcome back. I told you we got some moves to get to. Joe Turnover, your first uh, ahead of earnings tomorrow. Disney, you sold it. Yep. That's why so? I think
3: sometimes you sell a stock based on price, sometimes you sell a stock based on a deterioration in the fundamentals, and then sometimes you sell the stock because time stops you out. And that's in fact what I did here. Uh, purchased the stock in September. Everything that I advocated for at the time has not become reality. THERE'S THE COST OF MONEY IN SITTING IN SOMETHING THAT'S LOSING YOU MONEY ON A DAILY BASIS BASICALLY IN THE CASE OF DISNEY SINCE I PURCHASED IT. I'M DOWN ABOUT 12% IN THE POSITION. I'M STILL CAUTIOUSLY CONCERNED ABOUT THE CONSUMER. AND I BELIEVE THERE'S OTHER PLACES THAT I COULD DELIVER ALPHA WITHIN MY PORTFOLIO BEYOND DISNEY. SO I'M GOING TO BE VERY IMPATIENT WITH LOSING TRADES IN THE ENVIRONMENT THAT WE'RE IN RIGHT NOW.
2: OKAY. C YOU SOLD
3: IT. AGAIN, a- ANOTHER EXAMPLE of a healthcare stock that should actually be outperforming the overall market right now. It has relative underperformance to the rest of biotech and healthcare as a sector. That's an example of where you need to exhibit the impatience that I'm talking about with positions. Remove that from the portfolio
2: redistribute the funds in a strategy that you believe in. Louisiana Pacific, didn't you just buy that fairly recently? No, I bought that probably a month ago. But that's what I mean. What, that's not recently?
3: Okay. It's recent even for me, Scott. But but in, okay, so in in this environment, so, you know, if if we're going to begin to uh, try and understand timeframes in the market, I think what you have to respect is that the market overall right now, I think we all agree, is kind of somewhat running in place. 10% 10% up, 10% down. I don't think anyone has a real clear vision on where it's ultimately going to go. Right. So why are you so, selling stocks in a market time, that's running in place? Because your time frame has to become shorter. If you're not, if you don't have the ability to generate alpha, you quickly have to move to the sidelines. So in the case of Louisiana Pacific, last week with the JT rebalance and reconstitution, added Lennar, added Home Depot, added DH uh, Horton. Right. Adding those names. It's increasing your exposure to housing. Now, on the other side, I'm sitting with LPX, which isn't doing anything for me. You have to have some form of risk management strategy in this environment. And your time frame, my belief, needs to be shortened.
2: Okay. So, Kerry, you sold Twilio. Um, you know, look, cloud SaaS stocks have been hammered. Last week was a horrible week. Give me the thought process of, of why you removed Twilio.
6: Well, we sold it before the quarter. We were concerned about not just their top line in a difficult macro environment, and it wasn't as strong as we uh, had expected, but also um, on the cost side, they had to be committed to improving their margin. Uh, Their costs are too high. They're not earning any money. They don't expect to earn any money for some time. We thought we would hear something positive on that front uh in fact they didn't offer anything about improving margins significantly so we we decided before the quarter that we would sell it and we did so and and i'm pleased i think it's a great company but it's not the kind of company that the market wants right now with no earnings
2: fidelity why'd you sell that one
6: uh so that stock we bought not that long ago because fis because it was cheap stock selling for 13 times earnings solid cash flow business processing payments um and you know they had a commitment to buying back shares the quarter was not good it was below expectation their costs were higher than expected revenues weaker they pulled back their guidance on how many shares they were going to repurchase it's just not the picture that we had bought originally and so we decided we have better use for that money elsewhere Victoria
2: you sold Ally Financial tell me
5: I guess I'm not as patient as Warren Buffett, right? <laughs> and Joe had a good point on what's your time horizon. And if you're willing to be patient, some of these value stocks will be attractive two, three years down the road. But right now, Ally's under a lot of pressure. They, you know, I wanted to kind of increase the affluence of my consumer. And Ally has a lot of auto loans in there. And right now, that sector looks a little bit risky to me. And I just didn't want that risk on the book. I think their margins going to be under pressure. I think it's going to be hard for them to grow earnings in this environment and considering what the, the makeup of their consumer base is. So in two Three years, I could look a little stupid, but uh, you know, I, I, I hate to go against Mr. Buffett, but I think I'm just a little too impatient. I, I can't sit and wait on the stock considering the deterioration I see economically.
2: Bought Goldman, though,
5: right? Yeah. You swapped one I- for the other. I did, I did. Again, going up a little bit in affluence of consumers, but I also like the reorganization and their their ability to think ahead. And I think if you look at earnings, a lot of the companies that are making hard decisions saying, look, we need to be prepared. We need to either, you know, reduce headcount, reorganize, they're getting rewarded a little bit because the market wants strong leadership right now. I think Goldman's a well run company, it's reasonably valued, and then it has a little bit higher affluence consumers, which I think are gonna weather a little bit. The the Wall Street versus Main Street right now, as things get a little worse, it tends to be main street street that suffers more and has to make these cutbacks i like i like my exposure there uh, kind of coming up the affluence and and i think it's a good vision so it takes a strong ceo sometimes to say this isn't working the way we want it um i'm not expecting investment banking to pick up anytime soon but right, their trading right, right. desk did well and their their lost loan losses were a lot lower so i think it's a, a high quality stock that that has some good upside
2: okay weiss it's one of yours right
4: yeah i love goldman owned it for a long time and i agree management is they don't wait for years to respond to issues. And uh, this will be the second restructuring, different types of restructuring. So, so I agree. And I think stock does well. And expectations on banking are, should be nil. I mean, there'll be some things getting done in M&A. Uh, but overall, that's a source of
2: great source of revenue. And it's just not going to be there for a while. Okay. Uh, let's get the headlines now with Contessa Brewer. Hi, Contessa.
0: Hi there, Scott. Here's your CNBC News update right now. A close Putin ally said today he's interfering in U.S. elections, just admitted it. Billionaire Yevgeny Prigozhin admitted to, quote, carefully, accurately, and surgically interfering in the past and the present and promised he'll continue to do so. Prigozhin has been accused of sponsoring Russia-based troll farms that seek to influence U.S. politics. Across the United States, candidates and their surrogates are making final pitches ahead of tomorrow's midterm elections. President Biden will be at a rally in Maryland, and former President Trump will stump for J.D. Vance in the key Ohio Senate race. More than 42 million people have already voted early and turnouts predicted to reach record levels. Voters in a few states will decide some key initiatives at the polls. In Arkansas, Maryland, Missouri, and the Dakotas, marijuana legalization is on the ballot. Recreational pot, of course, is already legal in 19 states and DC after ballot initiatives over the past few years. We'll be watching to see what happens there. Scott.
2: Contessa, thank you, Contessa Brewer. Still ahead, the ETFs you need to watch right now. Plus, the five stocks, Buffett's Berkshire, is betting on big time. We'll see if the committee agrees with that portfolio, five stocks, when we come back.
0: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
8: And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Is 2022 finally the year for active managers? They almost invariably underperform their benchmarks and index strategies over time. But 2022 is seeing some active managers outperform, among them commodity trading advisors, CTAs. They specialize in trading futures contracts. There's an ETF for that. Let's talk with the man who runs it. Andrew Beer is the founder of Dynamic Beta Investments and co-portfolio manager of the Managed Future Strategy ETF. That's DBMF is the symbol. Andrew, this is being called the ETF of the year. It's hugely successful. You're up 30%. You're emulating the performance of 20 CTA hedge funds. Explain what CTAs do briefly, uh, what's in the fund, and why has this group of active out managers outperformed this year?
1: Sure, so well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on today. Um, so CTAs are hedge funds that basically seek to profit from trends in the market. What it matters from a portfolio perspective is, and we, you know, we fell in the space, in love with the space Betty eight years ago, because the idea was basically, it's like having flood insurance, but if you structure it right, you get paid to wait. And so this has been a year where there have been floods. There have been a lot of floods in the market. And so CTA hedge funds themselves have been having an extraordinarily good year. And we've benefited from that as well.
8: Yeah. So you're long crude oil, but you're short just about everything else. You're short the euro, gold, the yen, two-year treasury notes. You don't buy into hedge funds. You actually just try to emulate the strategies here. But it's amazing. It was a good year for active managers, but only if they got the inflation trade right here. Only if they were commodities were up. Rates are up, dollar up. If you got the inflation trade right, this is how you get the outperformance. And not everybody did.
1: Right, and, and, and absolutely. This year has been all about inflation, right? And there have been various legs of that. And you know what I've described about these strategies is that this has basically been a year where for most of the year, CTA hedge funds have been in crash protection mode. They were in crash protection mode back in the great financial crisis and back during the dot-com years. And so it's a strategy that, again, is built to do the best during a period when the rest of your portfolio of stocks
8: and bonds is doing the worst. Yeah. The problem I have with CTAs and hedge funds in general is they're ridiculously expensive. It's 2 and 20, 2% uh, of the fees, 20% of the profits. You running this thing for 85 basis points? Well, less than 1%. You're getting hedge fund strategies with 85 basis points. Is that right? Absolutely. So we we coined an expression that in
1: certain hedge fund strategies, fee reduction is the purest form of alpha. And by that, we essentially meant that if you can copy what these hedge funds are doing in a low cost efficient way, you just tend to do better. Right? In other words, you're 3D printing a car that everybody spends an enormous amount
8: of money to build themselves. Yeah. Uh, and that's Jack Bogle's Central Insight from Vanguard. Absolutely. Keep the fees as low as possible. We're going to have much more on ETFs and what they're doing and these strategies of attempting uh, to mimic that. Uh, coming up on ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Andrew will be joined by Andrew McCorman. He's the managing director at Wallach Beth Capital. Half-time report
2: returns right after this. All right. Welcome back. Berkshire Hathaway. That's Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, revealing 73 percent of its equity portfolio focused on just five names. Apple, Bank of America, Coca-Cola, Chevron and American Express. Weiss, you got the first crack at this Um, down three percent year to date relative to an S&P. That's down a lot more than that. What do you make of these choices in a very concentrated portfolio in many different sectors, tech, finance, consumer, staples, energy?
4: Well, he's on record, and I agree with him that diversity is the enemy of performance. So you want to you want to do your work as he does. He's got unique access to management, uh, and make your bets. And I'm not going to take issue with any of them. They're all quality names. You wouldn't bounce any names. of these. Sorry.
2: You wouldn't bounce
4: any of these. Would I bounce any of them? Um, you have questions about any of them? Uh, American Express, I think, is less competitive with the other, with the others than with the other credit card companies. Uh, and has seen some moderation to their franchise. Uh, Chevron, no. I sold it too early. Uh, Coca-Cola, you're not going to get rich off Coke. It's just going to be a steady Eddie, which is what he's looking for. So based upon what the way he looks at the world and the way he goes ahead, you've got to believe that Coca-Cola is going to take a major hit because he's been it for so long. So just the tax hit alone will, will be you know, very painful.
2: Kerry, so, yeah. h- how does this portfolio look to you right in the here and now?
6: I think it looks pretty good i mean it's had great great results this year uh, i disagree with steve we own american express and i thought the quarter was very very strong and it wasn't just membership they've they're gaining lots of traction with young people um in an environment where prices are going higher they take their percent so it's an inflation protection people are traveling more and yet you know, we're seeing that a, a, across the spectrum of Uh, different income brackets, but they're more protected because they're with affluent consumers. So, you know, we think as a bank, basically, they get their um, interest rate uh, movement as as rates go higher. So 13 and a half times next year's earnings, we think it's a great stock. And as, you know, Steve pointed out, he's got a solid track record with these, these companies and, you know, no reason that it shouldn't keep outperforming.
2: So, Joe, right, Chevron, I mean, look, we mentioned the performance. I think this exercise is to pick through these stocks and say, well, Chevron is up 58 percent year to date. Anybody would take that. Well, Exxon is up 80, like 85 year to date. So Exxon or Chevron.
3: Well, but but that's catch up because in the the prior years, Chevron actually outperformed Exxon Mobil. So a little bit of catch up. Um, I think he's I think he's in the right place overall. I somewhat disagree for the viewer with what Steve is saying. And uh, Warren Buffett and Berkshire, they're institutional investors, so they can concentrate. Let's remember they own a lot of private businesses. That's the diversification element that's added to the portfolio. And a lot of cash, too. Exactly. So, for And they could be acquirers in this environment. So for the viewer at home that doesn't have that advantage, they need the diversification. I also think that the holdings he has – are more representative of what the holdings are going to be as we move forward, where you'll see the rewards. And I think it's traditional. There's no extreme valuations in any of these names. Uh, you, you don't see emerging software. You don't see the hope and dream stocks. And I think that's exactly the type of holding that the viewer wants to have going forward. These are all quality names, and we've emphasized owning quality.
4: But you can't, he can't own those. What's he going to do, buy the entire company of an emerging software company? He needs
2: liquidity. He needs to get a big position. Well, doesn't he have a position in Snowflake? That uh, came, yeah, but that came out of the private. No, I understand that. Yeah. But, I mean, I think to our knowledge, he still owns I, I think he stake, sold some down. Doesn't he? So, I mean, he has some exposure to... Right. But one, in private market, he can get a big position of that.
4: He's not going to go in and buy a small, smaller company and just bid it up. Victoria?
2: How about these names? Would you
4: treat I mean, any I like being
5: boring. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's funny. You know, I bring up Oxy. He Obviously, that one's been the number one stock basically this year, and he's made a killing on that. I know it's not necessarily a top five holding, but he's done quite well on his energy names. Yeah, Exxon over Chevron this year. Uh, Chevron's still a very quality company, and, and we like being boring right now. He has good diversification. I think he's willing to be patient. I think as you talk about Buffett, you need to realize he's he has a different time horizon than the average investor, and people always want to be like Warren, but then they end up selling when it goes down and buying when it goes up. And so I think if you want to emulate him, it's don't panic and see opportunities in bear markets. And I would also argue he definitely made a lot of money on Coca-Cola. I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's something like billions upon billions of just dividends that he's received over the years. So if you're willing to be boring and patient, you can buy quality companies, you look to buy and not sell when things get hard, you can do a little bit better. So uh, I generally think, across the board, not, not bad picks. You know, we might like a, a Goldman over a Bank of America or a J. Morgan. Um, we like American Express. We like Chevron. We like energy. We think Oxy's been a great play for him. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what he looks to pick up uh, because he tends to love it when the market goes down. And that's the attitude I think investors should really look at, at is how do I make money in a bear market? You got to ignore the price volatility maybe on your current holdings. If they're quality blue chip holdings that aren't going to blow up on you, he doesn't care about the price action at those. He's looking at ways to get wealthy in the long term. Let's look to buy discounts that have quality attributes to them.
4: Okay. But to your point, American Express has underperformed both Visa and Mastercard meaningfully over the last year, five years, and 10 years.
2: Well, I mean, he doesn't well, get every single Yeah, but it's, it's also an insurance company. Thing,
5: right? Yeah. It's a different, if it's even stock, I think Berkshire Hathaway, you're kind of looking at them yeah. with a different risk return profile for an average investor. He never right. said he was a hedge fund. Okay. I didn't say that either. All right.
2: Up next, Mike Santoli has his midday word next. Plus, programming note, join us tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern, for a CNBC special. Business on the ballot we will hit the topics at play in the midterms and how the results could impact your money. Halftime returns right after this. All right. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. Are we trying to get ahead of the midterms? Is that what this is about?
9: Yeah, I think that's in everybody's uh, mind. I mean, the history is, is very, very well broadcast right now. We know there's never been a down six or 12 months following a midterm election year. I don't think the market is really in suspense that much about the outcome or the fate uh, of any particular policy path. It's much more about, you know, getting through it and, and into that seasonal strength. Again, even with that, I think the market is very, very well split right here. It's a 50-50 in terms of up, down volume today. It continues to try to sort of punish the wicked and spare the innocent. If you see the stocks that are suffering, it's, it's because there was a reason for it or they're in nasty downtrends. And you see resilience in some of the more familiar areas, the equal weighted indexes. Energy actually had a new high uh, today based on the S&P sector. So I, I think that's what we're doing here is differentiating as opposed to laying big bets across the board on some kind of a you know, melt up uh, into the end of the year.
2: Joe spoke at the beginning of the program about the the importance of tech and what it still has to th- to this market. Um, can the market decouple itself from the mega cap performance or not?
9: Well, we have to a degree. I think you, you, you all you have to do is look at the, you know, the, the NASDAQ 100 relative to the equal weighted S&P 500. It's a massive spread right now. Now, mathematically, the big stocks have to work at some level. They seem like they got You know, pretty well discarded last week. So maybe now we have the reason for a bounce outside of Apple. Uh, So I I don't think uh, it's healthy to necessarily think that as tech goes, so goes the market. But if we're going to have anything like a sustainable advance, I think you have to see a few things kick uh, kick in, which is two year note yield probably has to peak decisively uh, before you have something real big to the upside. And, you know, tech has to stop going down every day, uh, if not lead to the upside.
2: Yeah. All right. I'll see you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli with his midday word. Of course, his final word is uh, the last word is coming up in overtime. Straight ahead, trades on some of the biggest stock calls of the day when we come back.
4: Are you a veteran? Do you have a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? Email us a video with your name and rank, askHalftime at cnbc.com. You could be featured on our special show on Veterans Day. Thank you for your service.
2: All right, Kerry, let's do one of our calls of the day. It's S&P Global. You've owned it for years. Upgraded to overweight at Atlantic Equities. Price target to 386 from 356. Stocks down 33% year to date.
6: Yeah, exactly. Uh, we think it's a good time to buy the stock. The multiple has come way down. It came off because issuance, bond issuances, is way down with interest rates going up. We may be nearing the peak of rates. That would be good. Also, borrowers cannot defer forever when they when they need their money. Uh, the info deal is closing. So that makes issuance not half of the business, but a third of the business. And they're buying back 10 percent of their float. So all those are positive for SPGF.
2: All right, uh, Victoria, Costco uh, got a downgrade today. Uh, we don't have Victoria's shot. Anyway, uh, Costco got down, uh, downgraded uh, to equal weight from overweight. Disagree with that one, by the way. You disagree with the call? Disagree. I think Kramer uh, disagree in- with that call, too. Price target to 490 from 600
3: No, Costco is in Jyoti. There's an inflation resiliency, big box retailers. I think that's the right way to go in this environment.
2: How are we thinking, guys, about um, retail? We got some big uh-huh. earnings next week. Estee Lauder was downgraded today at Berenberg. Um, You added Home Depot, TJX, to the Joe T. I did. Joe T. In both cases. Joey T.
3: In both cases, you're seeing the revenue growth being present, you're seeing the strength of the balance sheet, so they're able to kind of endure this challenging environment. I would say for the consumer, you have to be cautiously concerned about the continued resiliency as we move forward, and you you keep going back to Chairman Powell using the word pain. When, When is pain ultimately going to be delivered Um, You could arguably say that there's been more pain on Wall Street, fortunately, than there has actually been on Main Street. That's why I think you have to be somewhat very careful when you're getting exposure to consumer.
4: Yeah, I I like Estee Lauder. Great run company, except I think it's going to suffer from the same uh, pull forward from the pandemic uh, that some of the other companies did, that people just home buying. Obviously, still need for makeup. Look at Joe right here. But I think it'll be okay for the long term. (laughs) Um, in terms of Costco, look, it's an expensive stock. It's always been expensive. But, man, they know how to run a company, and you'll see people
2: trade now. And when Dracula criticizes you, you know. He left out the word hair, though. Makeup and hair. <laughs> they don't make hair. All right. Hey, All right. Well, we will do final <laughs> trades next. 4 right, o'clock Eastern Time, overtime. Big earnings today, too. Activision plus Take-Two Lyft. TripAdvisor Advisor, got Adam Parker. Parker, sound like Joe. Brenda Vingello. I make fun of Long Island. Eric Jackson, Long Island. Jason Trennert. <laughs> Adam Parker, Joe, you're first. 516. <laughs> Love it, Go. Long Island. Valero. All right, Valero, Stay Victoria.
5: Devin, I'm gonna buy it on the Mish last week. They spent 1.1 billion in cash on a Bolton. Come on, man. All right, Carrie. <laughs> Home
6: Depot. If rates are peaking, that's a place that you want to be. The stock's down to below a market multiple.
2: All right. And uh, finally, Mr. Weiss. I'll meet you at Home Depot 250. I'm going
4: to buy Chevron. I like (laughs) Chevron.
2: Tom Lee seating next. I I thought you said you were going to talk about Skyworks.
4: Yeah, I did, but I changed it. Skyworks <laughs> here's what I'd say. The Skyworks, the stocks. said the break, yeah. the sky, the stocks barely down despite the Apple news, and fifty to seventy percent of the income comes from Apple. So to me, that seems like a washed out stock. But I've got to do more work on it. His thoughts come it's like their trades.
5: All
2: right, all right, good stuff. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at twelve Eastern only on CNBC.